Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Megan Myerskovsky in for Christopher Conover. We've heard a lot over the last few months about how hard it's been for businesses to hire. This week, we're diving into where that's happening and why. And we're asking people what that means for job seekers right now. George Hammond is the director of the University of Arizona's Economic and Business Research Center. And we talked to him about what hiring's like across industries in Arizona. There's a lot of firms across really most industries that are struggling to to find the workers that they that they need to staff up. You know, we know that the the industries that are are the furthest uh, behind where they were before the pandemic began, at least in terms of jobs or leisure and hospitality or the travel and tourism industry and and government. And the, you know, the industry that has, has really added the most jobs during the pandemic is transportation and warehousing. So, you know, it's likely that we're, we're seeing um, difficulty in hiring across the spectrum, um, but, uh, but probably the, the most issues. We know about restaurants. I think there's been a lot of reporting, a lot of talk about that. And we know about grocery stores, for example, just from going there and seeing the shelves not as stocked. Is there anything else that might be surprising? The surprising thing is how widespread the difficulty in hiring is. I mean, I, I think we're seeing it across um, most sectors. Um, you know, the, the, when we look at the, at the monthly data on, uh, you know, the number of, of people who are separating from employment, particularly voluntarily quitting, you know, that's, that's elevated both in the nationally and here in Arizona. Um, Arizona's, you know, quit rates um, are generally uh, above the national average, but they are elevated compared to, to where they were, you know, a couple of years ago. So uh, it's a it's a problem that uh, everybody is facing, and you know, I, I think kind of what we're seeing is is workers really reevaluating the the industries and occupations that they that they want to work in, and. Uh, you know, given the the amount of uh, income support flowing from the federal government and the fact that, you know, most people, uh, you know, just weren't spending as much on on travel and tourism type uh, activities uh, during the pandemic, you know, that uh, a lot of people saw their bank accounts increase pretty substantially during the pandemic. And that that's giving people some additional runway to to look for that ideal job or or occupation. Are there other reasons that you're seeing that, you know, maybe driving people to uh, look for another job or, or, you know, just not be in the workforce right now? Sure. One of the things that, that I think is, is um, contributing to retirements um, uh, being somewhat elevated uh, is the increase in the stock market and the increase in house prices um, uh, since the pandemic began. You know, those um, are typically stores of, of household wealth. And when, you know, household wealth rises, we tend to consume more. So that's probably driving some of the, the increased demand, particularly for um, tangible goods. Um, but I think it's also contributing to uh, increased retirements as, you know, people who were, uh, you know, maybe a, a couple of years away from retiring or finding themselves meeting their uh, financial goals um, because of the run up in house prices and the stock market and, and deciding to pull the trigger. So we've been talking about this for a few months now. Has anything changed in that time or are employers doing anything differently? Well, I think we're 
you know, employers are, are working a lot harder uh, than they were before the pandemic to to attract and, and retain workers. And I think we're seeing that across the board. You know, I think we're going to be in this situation for you know, probably throughout 2022. So we're, we're going to have to continue to work hard um, uh, to attract and retain the workers that we need to, to meet the, the demand. What could this potentially mean down the line? You know, does this mean we're going to see more automation? Does this mean we're going to see better salaries? Does this mean those grocery shelves are going to stay perpetually low stocked? I think we'll see um, a lot of this kind of iron itself out as we go you know, through this year and, and even into, into next year. Uh, so I think the grocery st- grocery shelves will be stocked uh, in the way that we were used to before the pandemic. Um, but it may take uh, you know, a while for that to, to get back to normal. I think we are going to see a, a continuing trends towards um, automation and, and increased use of artificial intelligence. I don't think the machines are going to uh, eliminate the need for, for human workers. I think um, what we'll see is that more and more we will be working with machines. So, you know, we'll be working with artificial intelligences and computers, and that will be um, something that will increasingly be a part of, of most people's jobs. That was George Hammond with the University of Arizona's Economic and Business Research Center. For a lot of Arizonans, there's one big missing piece that's keeping them from going back to work, and that's childcare. Many women, and especially women of color, say they can't jump back into full-time work because there's nowhere for their kids to go. And they're the primary caretakers. Kelly Murphy is the vice president of policy at the Children's Action Alliance. And she sat down with us to talk about the shortage of child care workers and facilities, and how that impacts parents from rural to urban Arizona. What have working parents and especially working mothers been up against through the pandemic? It's been a struggle for working parents and it's really been a struggle for everyone. But we know that when the pandemic started, a lot of people left the workforce because of safety issues, closures, et cetera. And um, what we found is that the majority of the people who left the workforce were women um, because someone had to provide care for their children when schools were out or when child care facilities closed. And so its, its impact has been very hard on women who were in the workforce previously. And what does that look like at this stage of the pandemic now that we're, you know, two years in and we're going through this, you know, big wave of Omicron cases? Here in Arizona, things opened back up relatively quickly, which was, you know, good or bad, depending on how you want to look at it. But that did not translate to everyone going back to work. And we know that um, our unemployment is back to the same level it was prior to the pandemic. But we also know that we have a workforce shortage in a lot of industries. And so one of those industries in particular has been childcare. And early on, we lost about one fifth of the workforce in childcare because of closures or people were concerned about their health and safety and those kinds of things. And so some of those jobs started to come back. And then as Omicron sort of hit, again, the workforce backed out of, of working. Part of that is that people figured out how to earn a living in other ways. Maybe, you know, driving for Uber or doing something at home that allowed them to not have to find their own child care. And so, so many of those folks actually have stayed in those kinds of jobs. But we've seen a shortage everywhere. And we know that the pandemic sort of just exacerbated a problem that already existed with workers in the child care industry. We've already struggled to hire people to come on board. And so what happens in child care is 
it's like the schools right now. So when the Omicron hits, then teachers get sick or children get sick. They have to temporarily close classrooms sometimes. They have to quarantine classrooms full of kids, which means that if you work there, you get quarantined as well and you're not earning any money. And so for a lot of folks, they found other ways to earn money because of repeated closures. It was just, and now they don't want to come back into that industry because we're still having that same problem now. Is there anything happening in government right now to help this, whether it's at the state or local level? Yeah, so a few things have happened. During uh, during the pandemic over the last year or two, there have been several federal COVID relief packages passed. And um, all of those had money that was specific to help the childcare industry. So we all realized, and the, and the federal government realized very early on that if we didn't have childcare, nobody could go back to work. And it's, it's a problem that backs up the rest of the system. And so they've directed money to states, including Arizona. We've gotten a little over a billion dollars in the state to try and help keep the childcare system solvent in Arizona, which has gone toward things like early on, it was buying supplies, you know, just, just as you and I had trouble finding certain things in the grocery store in the early days of the pandemic, so did childcare providers. So it went to things like that early on, but now it's really, that money is now going to more operational uses. So there's currently the Department of Economic Security has a grant program. It's a stabilization grant program that's being paid for through some of that federal money. And providers can apply for it if they meet the requirements. They get a monthly payment that they can use toward dealing with their workforce issues. For example, they can use it for bonus payments or hiring bonuses. They can use it to provide uh, higher salaries to their staff. And that money will go through about, there'll be about another year and a half of that money. And so that provider is getting a monthly stipend that helps pay that. And that's been very helpful. Yeah. Is there anything else that you think still needs to happen? Yeah, there's no question. The workforce right now is, it's a, it is a crisis level at this point. We have about of the providers that applied for the grant funding in, in Arizona, about 50% of them have wait lists right now. So that's a, a big problem. And about half of those that have wait lists say that wait list is there because of staffing issues. And so we have to figure out a way to raise wages for our workers like now. And some of the COVID relief money can continue to be used for that, which is great, but we need permanent solutions and not just the temporary, when this funding runs out, the state is going to have to figure out a way to encourage those wages to stay up higher and to help providers provide benefits to the folks that work for them. Those kinds of things would help. And, you know, just encouraging people to go into the childcare industry so we can have workers on board would be helpful as well. How hard is it to find childcare in Arizona right now? It depends on where you are. At what part of the state geographically? So some of our very rural areas already were what they call a childcare desert, which means that they don't have enough childcare slots for the number of children that need the care. That existed long before COVID hit, but that problem is significantly worse, especially in our rural areas. But it isn't only in rural areas. We have a real lack of infant and toddler care across the state. In fact, the longest wait lists are for children that are about two years of age. But it's also very, very hard to find care for infants in licensed or certified child care providers. We have some counties that have 2,000 or 3,000 births in a year, and they only have maybe 25 or 30 infant care slots that are in quality child care programs. And so those parents either have to choose not to go back to work or they have to find you know, a family member or a friend or someone else who can watch a child or they, you know, if they live in a two-parent household, maybe they have to work different shifts just so they have care for that infant. It's very tough to find care right now. How long can those wait lists get to be? 
it really depends on the size of the program, but the, you know, some of them have several hundred, you know, families on a wait list to get into programs that are in locations that are optimal. So maybe they're close to where it's a business center where a lot of people work or, you know, or in a population center, the wait list can get very long. And of course, the longer that you wait, the less likely you are to actually, you'll figure out something else if you need care. And so a lot of those families then don't come back, at least not right away. And a lot, to be honest with you, a lot of, we, we are hearing anecdotally, but I'm hearing it from others that in across all industries that are having difficulty attracting workers, that one of the reasons they want to hire people, but one of the reasons why applicants decide not to take a job is because they can't find care for their children. Are there workplaces that are adapting in order to accommodate parents in, in this way? And if so, how are they doing that? Well, I think what we've seen is for industries and businesses that could go virtual. So if you could work from home, a lot of a lot of companies temporarily said, if you need to watch your children while you're working, we can accommodate that right now because there's no place for them to go. And we've heard that some employers have been trying to find ways to provide childcare on site or in their facility, but they also still have the problem of attracting good workers. You know, I think it's just very difficult if you don't have flexible hours or you there are places in the state that don't have any childcare at all. And so if, you know, I know that there've been uh, families who have formed little groups. So we've seen groups of parents who will watch each other's children, but those are not, they're not licensed care programs and they may help in a pinch. But, you know, if one of those parents who's watching somebody else's children decides to go back to work or decides that they don't want to watch children that day, they're not necessarily as reliable either. Is there anything else in this topic that we haven't talked about that you'd want to touch on? I just think that it's important for people to understand that child care, the workforce shortage in child care is sort of a linchpin to unclogging the workforce shortage elsewhere. So if parents cannot go back to work, if they don't have a safe place to put their children when they're gone, and nobody wants to put their kids in an unsafe situation, but we know we have seen in the past situations where parents who were desperate for care left their children alone without an adult supervising. And those are dangerous and scary situations. We don't want to see people have to choose between, am I doing something that's unsafe with my child or am I not working and putting food on my table? And so I think it's just important for people to understand that it's it's at a crisis level. And then the other thing I would say is that the way to, to sort of unclog the system in childcare is to increase wages and provide benefits to those workers and treat them like the professionals that they are. It's not babysitting. <laughs> there is growth and development and all of those things happening in child care programs. And so it's important for people to understand that as well. And then lastly, I would say that the one thing that is not the answer is reducing regulations or requirements for child care providers. We don't want to um, make child care programs inherently unsafe by reducing the number of health and safety requirements that they have. That's part of the reason why parents put their children in those kinds of programs is because they know that they'll be safe and cared for. And so that that definitely is not the answer right now. That was Kelly Murphy with the Children's Action Alliance. You are listening to The Buzz. I'm Megan Myskowski in for Christopher Conover. This week, we're talking about the job market in Arizona. It seems like if employers are saying it's a tough time to hire, then it must be a good time to be looking for a job. We spoke with some Southern Arizonans who've been on the job hunt recently or are in the midst of their search to see if they're finding an abundance of options and if that changes what they're looking for. We talked first to Ann Furbush, who is finishing her master's in agricultural economics at the U of A. 
Her job search came to an end this week. It actually ended up being pretty straightforward. I think I submitted applications to three or four companies total, but I applied to one company first, kind of much earlier than the others back in November and heard back from them and did some interviews and actually just accepted it. I think I generally have the strategy when it comes to applications of being really picky about what companies I'm going to apply to and then putting a lot of effort into each of those applications. I um, have been putting a lot of thought into like what things I care about right now and what matters. And I think a big one for me with this particular application cycle was um, place and location. So my partner and I are ready to move back to the Northeast to be closer to family. And we kind of really honed in on this one area in Western Massachusetts that we're interested in living. That I think really narrowed my search quite a bit. And then beyond that, you know, there was a salary range I found acceptable and other stipulations. But I think that kind of was the main draw for me because I probably could have made more money doing something else in, you know, maybe a bigger city or even working remotely. But I think place was the most important thing for me this time. Stuart Poland doesn't see growth opportunities for himself at the call center where he's been working for six years. He told us about what he's looking for in a new job. Honestly, something where I can actually get up and move around. Because <laughs> I've been working at home for the past three years out of the six years that I've worked for the company. I just need to get into a place where I can actually leave my house and walk around and maybe do some actual physical work. I mean, it's been going pretty well so far. I mean, it just started a, a couple of days ago. I've been just basically dipping my toes in the water, putting my resume out there. I've already got a couple of emails back, so it's been pretty quick, actually. I'm just basically casting a wide net and weighing my options. You know, I want to make sure I'm working full-time just so it makes sense financially for me. And also, like, something no less than at least $19. It's been a long time since I've actually gone out of my way to look for a new job, um, but it's not really that different from the last time. Basically, just put my, like, I, was only, I think the only actual difference is uh, the route I'm going. So, like, using a lot of programs to actually put my stuff out there, like Indeed or, or anything like that, just setting my resume out there and getting people reaching out to me now, it's, it's different in that sense. Clara Kuhn and their partner moved to Tucson from Staten Island, New York, on New Year's Day for a change of scenery and work. Clara is now working part-time with a group expanding the Arizona Trail and is applying to become a substitute teacher. Both of us have been working the same seasonal job in the summer for, I this was my fifth season and um, his fourth season, and the job ended and it was kind of like, try and figure out something in, in New England, especially like with COVID, some things are a little bit more off the table or feel a little bit more off the table. I was working as a trail crew lead, so leading people in the backcountry, building mostly stone structures. A lot of the jobs that I wound up applying for were, it was like all over the map. I mean, some were animal care, serving, things that I don't have many like specific resume skills in but was like, eh, this could be cool. I don't know. I want to try this out. It seems like there's, there are a lot of opportunities out there. I just don't have the specific skills for them. And so for a lot of places, specifically, I found with restaurant jobs, 
they wanted people who'd had restaurant servings or cooking specific experience before. I was looking for something that wasn't going to consume my life the way that my job over the summer did because it really, I did not have time off of it because I was living in the woods five days a week. And then also just was so tired from the work that it was hard to do things on weekends. I definitely took salary into account, but work environment was pretty big up there for me because I'm new to the area, wanted to be able to meet people through work. One of the most reliable places to find job seekers is a college career services office. We had a conversation with Pete Corrigan, who works with University of Arizona seniors and alums navigating the job market, about what's changed for recent grads and the people looking to hire them. Can you tell me a little bit about what the market is like for graduates who are looking for jobs right now? I mean, it definitely depends on the industry, but um, the job market is strong. There's a lot of demand for students. And um, a couple of months ago, we put together a Zoom meeting of our top employers, meaning employers that hire the most students and just are kind of a constant presence on campus. And uh, the one thing that we did learn from them kind of universally was that applications are down for their positions 30 to 40 percent over what they have been in past years. So students have a lot of options, especially with a lot of jobs changing to being virtual and being remote. So do you think that amount of opportunity, do you think that that has an effect on what types of jobs or what industries students are, are pursuing right now, as opposed to maybe a year ago or even five years ago? Yeah. I mean, it really just depends on the student and what they're passionate about. Students with coding skills. It's funny, I just talked to an employer the other day and he talked about wanting to hire unicorns. And his definition of a unicorn was someone who has technical expertise, but also has, you know, very good communication skills so he can talk to customers as well. And, um, you know, I mean, you would think maybe that that wouldn't be so hard to find, but I think a lot of employers do find it hard to be fine because if you're attracted to technical work, maybe you, you know, your strength isn't interacting with people. With there being wider selection of opportunities, do you think that um, students are also able to be a little pickier or, you know, negotiate based on that? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I definitely think with certain students, location can be something that's very important to them. And I think the fact that employers are, you know, offering more remote work really changes things up, right? So, I mean, you might be attracted to a company that's in Seattle, but you can live in Phoenix and do that work remotely. And then I think too, you know, work-life balance is something that's become more and more important to students. I just talked to a student this week and she's an alum and, and she works for a very popular company for students to work for. But um, she said that, you know, they'll call her at five o'clock on Friday night and they'll give her an assignment that's due Saturday morning. And that means she has to cancel her plans. And she said, you know, that she doesn't really feel, you know, like they, you know, they don't even thank her. It's just kind of accepted of her. And, you know, that really changes someone's lifestyle. I mean, I think it depends on the person, but definitely lots of things to think about when you're looking for your first job out of college. Are there students who who maybe have more than one option on the table and so they're looking for other options than that? They're, you know, choosing a job that offers better work-life balance? Yeah. Well, um, I just met with a student 
earlier this year and he wanted to be a financial advisor. He likes working with people, but he likes, you know, finance and building relationships. So, you know, I introduced him to a few companies and he wound up getting at least two job offers. It might've been three, you know, we had several meetings just kind of going through his thought process. And uh, one of the job offers is from a company that kind of sells itself as a work-life balance company and full-time is only 37 and a half hours a week. And, you know, that was interesting to him, but there was another company and I thought his attitude toward them was very interesting. I mean, they, so that company pays like 50,000, the 37 and a half hour week. And the other company that he was interacting with had a starting pay of 65,000 plus commission. So, I mean, this could be a really good, well-paying job for a first job or any job, but they wanted him to work 12 hours a day. And he thought about it and you know, he, he said he was in a good situation and he didn't have a lot of student debt and he didn't feel the need to work 12 hours a day. So he took one for lesser pay and more of a work-life balance. Are you seeing any change in, in the salaries that are being offered? Are your students getting offered higher salaries than you've seen? That's kind of hard information to gather is like what students do after graduation, but we try really hard. In the last few years, Megan Frecky in our office has developed a career destination survey, which we give, give, she gives to graduating seniors. And I believe there's about a 73% response rate. And students that had an internship, on average, make more money than students who didn't have an internship during college. And I mean, this was good for you know, us to hear because, I mean, you always want to hear that you're doing good work. Students that interacted with career advisors or career center and, or went to career fairs make on average $12,000 more than students who didn't. Is there any other advice that you're giving students who would give to, you know, someone who's looking for a new job uh, that we haven't covered already? There's a lot of good resources, especially at the university for students to reach out to. So get help with your documents and then network and be talking to, you know, to different companies and making those opportunities happen and definitely attend career fairs. But I think getting a job can wear you down and there's some disappointment along the road. And I think just, you know, to have perseverance and keep your energy at a, at a good level, because you never know when you're going to be in a conversation, you know, with a job that's really important. And you just want to make sure that, that you're at your best. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. Sure. That was Pete Corrigan with the University of Arizona Career Services Office. And that's the buzz for this week. Find all episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. I'm producer Megan Myskowski. This week we had help from our production assistants Itai Sofer and Samantha Larned. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Christopher Conover is our news director, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.